Ultimately, everything kind of boils down to one question. What's the fucking point? So let's talk about it. I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and this podcast brings a little levity and a lot of curiosity to some of the biggest questions and ideas that we meager humans can ponder. Join me and our guests each week as we dig into topics around psychology, human behavior, consciousness, spirituality, philosophy, and more, all with a healthy dose of existential angst. And now, today's episode. Well, hello there, my curious friends. So, I'm outside, as you can hear, with the birds. It's a beautiful day here in Nashville, and... I just had to like intentionally challenge myself to slow my walking because you know that I like to record these intros and my recharge episodes walking, but I'm a fast walker in general, which A means that I get out of breath, not the greatest for when you're recording, (laughs) but B, I think sometimes doesn't help me to share from the most grounded place. So part of my ongoing challenge and growing edge is to slow the fuck down, right? So here I am slowing down. And what do I want to share with you before we jump into the interview? Um, I sent an email out if you are on my little email squad over the weekend And I'm really, really excited for what's to come. Actually, I'm going to share more about this in the recharge episode for Monday that I am about to record as well. Um, So I'll leave a lot of that conversation for there. But just suffice to say, I hope that if you're not already signed up for my reweekly emails, that you will check that out. Um, It will be in the show notes. Everything's always linked in my bio on Instagram too. So I'm excited about those starting Um, and yeah, just dealing with what we're all kind of, or I know not all of us, we all have different challenges right now, but my challenge of figuring out like, oh, it seems like some people are going back to the office and I could do that. I could make that decision, but the numbers are not going down here. So why would I do that? Ugh, it's pros and cons of being your own boss sometimes, but mostly it's awesome. Anyway, our interview today is actually my first interview with a couple. I had first gotten introduced to Sarah, and she is an awesome acupuncturist, etc. I'll share her bio in a minute. And as we were talking, we had a little virtual coffee date uh, and she lives in New York City. Um, She was telling me about her husband who is a hypnotherapist. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a hypnotherapist too. And I asked if they'd be open to being interviewed together and they were. So I was super jazzed about that. And actually, this is absolutely one of my favorite episodes to date. The conversation was so dynamic. And whether you are like, all in on things like past life regression and um, that kind of stuff, or you're a total skeptic, I think you're really going to appreciate the conversation wherever you might fall onto that spectrum. Um, Daniel and Sarah are both incredibly grounded, smart, 
funny and that all shines through in this interview. So I can't wait for you to hear it. Let me tell you a little bit more about each of them. Sarah Biffin is a doctor of Chinese medicine, licensed acupuncturist, board certified herbalist, Reiki practitioner, and holistic health coach. At her private practice in New York City, she utilizes acupuncture, herbal formularies, nutritional guidance, lifestyle therapies, energy work, and body work to restore balance and promote optimal health. Sarah is passionate about whole body medicine. Her work addresses a vast array of conditions, including anxiety relief, pain management, gastrointestinal disorders, women's health, fertility, autoimmune disorders, and psycho-emotional well-being. I mean, the woman does it all. <laughs> and Daniel Ryan maintains a full-time private practice as co-director at the Center for Integrative Hypnosis in New York City. And sidebar from Val is that place kind of a big deal in the hypnosis hypnotherapy world. Pretty rad. With offices in Manhattan and Brooklyn, Dan offers hypnotherapy, regression therapy, mindfulness and meditation to individuals, groups, and businesses. And as you'll hear more about in the interview, he's actually a second generation hypnotherapist. It's sort of his family business. His father, Jeffrey Ryan, was one of the pioneers in hypnotherapy and regression therapy and actually a president of the Association of Past Life Research and Therapies. How cool is that? Also, as I'm reading this, I remembered, I totally forgot to ask about this, which is so cool. So after getting his degree in, at Emerson College, Daniel studied at the School of Practical Philosophy in New York City, studying Vedic philosophy, neuroscience, East-West mysticism, and psychology. Can I please move to New York and go to that school? It sounds amazing. Okay, so one other thing I wanted to mention before we get into the episode, and Sarah does touch on this at the very end, she and one of her frolegs are co-hosting a four-week series uh, called Go the Fuck to Sleep, about dealing with insomnia and which is all heightened during the quarantine as I have definitely talked about on my other podcast my struggles with that recently so I am attending this coming Thursday May 28th if you're listening to this live is the first opportunity to attend you can sign up for each individual session and you can find all that info on her Instagram which is at Dr. Sarah Biffin. That's Dr. Sarah with an H B I F F E N. That will be linked in the show notes as well. Hope to see you there on Thursday, the 28th, or one of the following weeks. Okay, let's get into the episode with my new favorite wellness power couple, Sarah and Dan. I'm super excited to talk to you both, and this is my first time interviewing a couple. How are you guys feeling about being interviewed as a couple? I think we're pretty excited, actually. <laughs> it's our first time being interviewed as a couple, so hey, you know, we're all, I mean, maybe since we had to plan the wedding or something like that, oh, so. Yeah. Professionally. Yeah, that's right. First time. Yeah. Yeah. Actually. Very cool. <laughs> well, and I'll obviously I'll, I'll do the more formal intros and in the, the introduction I record after this, but uh, reading through your bios and having talked to you a little bit, Sarah, I was just like, if there was a wellness couples award, you guys would <laughs> definitely be in the running uh, power, for power couple. <laughs> big, 
very impressive body of work between the two of you. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> very kind. Yeah. That's us. We love what we do. So it's true. We are very fortunate in that way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I guess it just kind of that way. It wasn't like a want ad, like <laughs> hypnotist searching for acupuncturist to complete wellness power couple. Yeah. <laughs> it did come to that. Thankfully, it didn't, it didn't have thankfully, to come to that. It was more organic than that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I and I guess because wellness is such a big, both professional. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Professional work and personal passion for both of you. What are some of the practices that you're finding yourselves leaning even more into during topsy-turvy pandemic time? That's a good question. I mean, for me, um, I really have been leaning into moving, more of a moving meditation mindset. Um, And that can look like so many different things, but even going for a long walk, kind of having a rule of thumb of two periods of movement every day just to decompress and also really diving more so into a yoga practice that, and not that I hadn't, not that I had fully discarded and I had been picking up since the, the beginning of the year again, but just really having the capability of doing that at home. And we're very fortunate that even though we're in New York, we have a little bit of space where we can work with at home. And that has just been such a, a blessing um, on my end, that's for sure. And also reading for fun. Mm. <laughs> yeah, reading for fun. It's something that I, I've been trying to undertake even pre-pandemic, and I forgot how therapeutic a little me time can be for that. Yeah. yeah. I'm inspired by Sarah watching her with all of that. And then in my own practice, I've taken on fasting more so than I ever had before. I had experimented with it, but I was of the the category of person who the whole thing would kind of break down after three days and, you know, my body would start crashing and I would just need food so badly. So I, I found a system that really worked for me. I did a five-day fast that was really successful. And we've been experimenting together with intermittent fasting outside of that, which has been awesome, actually, and something I have had been wanting to do more of and just explore more of as a way of uh, you know, working with my health, and, and you know, as I as I go past the age of 29 now, my <laughs> early 40s. But uh, you know, men's health as we get older, you know, being able to subtract things is a pretty important thing to be able to do that comfortably. So yeah, so fasting and also had a pull-up bar installed <laughs> in the ceiling <laughs> nice. so I could do uh, pull-ups and push or yeah stretches and really just elongate, which which is helpful for me. Yeah, fasting is so interesting. I I come from a background of um, eating disorder recovery. I know we got a little into that, Sarah, and uh, and working professionally with that now. It's one of those where it's obviously it's it's all based on what each individual needs and what's truly healthy for them. So a lot of the folks that I'm working with who are in the middle of that, like mm, probably not, maybe never, maybe for me. Maybe never, (laughs) but that doesn't mean that I have to vilify it because as someone who's also now um, three and a half years ethical vegan, I've seen how that's been vilified in in kind of the recovery community. And it's like, we we don't need to be black and white or say that something is healthy for everybody or not healthy for anybody. Um, And it's, yeah, it's all about everyone just kind of walking that path for themselves and getting the data. 
Indeed. Yeah, I would agree. And, and that's a very good point to bring up. And I think that something that I work with a lot when I'm giving patients, for example, like nutritional or dietary or even herbal advice, it's kind of like, there is no such thing as a, a one solution. Like it's not a one size fits all medicine or dietary program, no matter who you are, or what you do and different things are going to be more effective for you or speak to you more. And that's okay. Like we need to just have a little bit more of an open dialogue with that rather than being like, well, my way is right. And it's right for everybody. And you know, stamping our feet on the ground a little bit like that's not really gonna get us anywhere exactly Uh, it's been really cool actually to see how dan has been able to connect with this and i haven't subscribed to the same exact program because it's like it doesn't work for me in the same way and that's fine and it's just like having that support system that i think is a little bit more important Mm -hmm. like doing what's healthy for you yeah amen and i'm curious about I, i actually haven't really talked about this with anybody yet but I know there's conversations about this floating around. Do y'all view that there's any kind of purpose of the pandemic? Or do you think it's just like it's cause and effect and shit happens? <laughs> Those are our two choices. Yeah. <laughs> or you might have another good option too. <laughs> well, we could get into all the conspiracy theories floating around. That's for sure. <laughs> How long do you want to be here? Right. Um, I mean, that's a good question. I have try- been trying not to give it too, too much thought, but, um, you know, I think that Dan knows I'm a bit of a bit of a history geek and I don't even know if this helps answer the question, but, you know, just in, it's almost like every once in a while, and I don't say this to be insensitive whatsoever because it is such a serious thing that's happening in our society, but it's just kind of like the collective needs a reset in some way ever so often, no matter what that looks like. And it's usually not pretty. Um, And it sucks to live through. But, you know, even pandemic wise, and it's not always a pandemic, you think about like 100 years ago, there was influenza. And 100 years ago, that was a yellow fever. And 100 years before that was like the Black Death. You know, it's just like these things, for whatever reason, like, society reaches a point that is not sustainable. And it's almost like, it seems like mother nature is like, well, hold on a second. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I do believe in the systems of check system of checks and balances that nature places upon us. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, it's such a tempting question, you know, and a tempting thing. I was talking about this earlier today with some clients and, and have been talking about it with friends, you know, just this, there does feel, and perhaps it's a luxury for those of us that are in good health and in good situations, that there's an, an opportunity for a metamorphosis and a kind of, you know, something new, a, a pivot in one's life. You can make a strong decision and make a change. Um, and, you know, that's a beautiful thing. You know, if we can truly do that, embrace that, and that's available to us, fantastic. Um, I, I, I'm hesitant to ascribe existential or metaphysical <laughs> meaning or purpose, you know, just because I don't want to take that too far. But at the same time, I think, again, for both of us, there's been a kind of opportunity for personal metamorphosis and an opportunity to be at home and, and go within and focus on foundations. Uh, so, you know, all of that has positives in it, of course. And I, again, I say that you know, we both know people personally who are directly affected by yeah. this. So, you know, 
And uh, yeah, so I say that with great reverence and compassion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of that really aligns with how I'm feeling and thinking about it, that it's not so much that every everything, including this, happens for a reason and that it should, you know, this is what should be happening any more than it's what shouldn't be happening, but that post-traumatic growth, you know, that, mm -hmm. that life is going to happen. And if we can lean into each other and build our skills of resilience, then yeah, we do need resets and we do need opportunities for things to be shaken up and to have, you know, have kind of forced on us this, these questions of, well, what do we do now? Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. A lot of question marks flying around right now, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah. So, Dan, I am wondering, I think it's so fascinating that you are um, a second generation hypnotist, uh, hypnotherapist, and and working with um, past life regression, which I have so many questions about. But I guess my first question is, in growing up with that and your dad doing that work, did you ever have to like go on your own little rumspringa of like, dad, I think this is all bullshit and I don't believe in it. Or were you like on board the whole time? Well, I was drawn to it immediately. You know, I, I was drawn in immediately by the subject matter. And, and, you know, really like hats off to my old man. My dad was such a beautiful guy. Um, in the car ride home from day long past life progression trainings and experiences, you know, not unlike those I do now. We'd be in the car. He said this to me once. He goes, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to dying. And I was like, what kind of fucked up thing is that to say to your son? And he was like, well, I want to know if there's past lives or not. <laughs> you know, and this is after, I think at the time, he may have been the president of the Association for Past Life Research. <laughs> as he spoke that, you know, so... And granted, this is in the car with his son, you know, so this is, I'm, I'm outing him now 25 years later, but, um, but he, he carried his doubt, you know, somewhat gracefully. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, it's, it's a central tenet of the way I work with past life regression. And it's a balance of a number of things. You know, there's a lot of lessons in, in Chinese medicine that I've learned from Sarah watching over her shoulder about this, in fact, but uh, just that you know, past life regression can be an extraordinarily benef beneficial experience for anybody, despite their belief system or background. You know, and, and I, as a kid, coming back to growing up around it and gravitating to it at a young age, I, it was really easy. As a sarcastic teenager in the '90s, my bullshit meter was so sharp. <laughs> <laughs> nobody, nobody could get a thing past me. And and yet I, I saw time and again, people again that, that are my age now have cathartic, beneficial, relieving, truly therapeutic experiences. So I knew there was something of value to it right away. That was very clear to me. The, the balance was, you know, how to carry those benefits and the structure there that is working, that does apply to everybody uh, and that can, that can I don't mean to describe it as a universal prescription, but again, that can apply to enough people without needing to necessarily believe in past lifetimes and leave the baggage of the exercise behind, you know, leave the, well, whatever, whatever P 
piece of the baggage of past life regression that I didn't want to carry with me, which there's a lot of baggage in the subject. Mm -hmm. And in case there's anybody listening who's like, well, I've heard of past lives, but I don't know what the heck past life regression means. Can you just kind of give like a basic definition? Sure, of course. So past life regression is a form of hypnotherapy where we are exploring what may or may not be memories of past lifetimes. During the experience, usually, but not always, one will experience a narrative that, again, it could be a memory of a past lifetime, but it could also be a metaphorical exploration of a, a relationship, a pattern, a behavior, a phobia, a fear, a joy, a talent, a skill, any number of things. And that metaphorical narrative is also aligned with our dreams and archetypal psychology, mythology, Joseph Campbell, you know, Carl Jung, of course, spoke about this a lot. So just the, this understanding of our really archetypal psychology that's so primally in us, you know, past life regression is right there with all of these other subjects. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and as someone who's like, I'm curious, I'm interested, I wish that I could be 100% on board with like, yes, I believe in this and I want to experience it myself and I'm not quite there. Um, but I think the way that you just phrased that makes so much sense because it's like if there are these images or these feelings or these symbols that are arising for me, maybe that has something to do with something that my particular consciousness has experienced um, outside of my body maybe it's something that is more part of the universal consciousness and those archetypes that are, arise for all of us even if it's not like my little pocket of consciousness was previously in another physical body that either right. way working with that could be healing and beneficial absolutely the question is always you know how is the experience useful to you What's the lesson here? What resource are we going to pull out of this story? You know, it, if we don't have some benefit or some tool as a result, then it's just a story about how you were Cleopatra, right? <laughs> and, uh, and you know, again, I appreciate everything you're saying. Just to respond to a couple things broadly, a question I get all the time, which is very sensible, what if I'm making it up? My response to that always is, of course you're making it up. It's coming from you. There's no <laughs> And you're making it up. But what part of you is making it up and why? What part of you is speaking? What part of you is listening? Again, is there a lesson or a resource and awareness that you can pull with you into your life right now? It's a tremendously creative therapy, you know, which is another thing I love about it. And, and then last thing I'll say about it is one of the few therapies that's ready to respect and take our spiritual questions seriously. Mm. This is another thing I, I recognized as a kid you know, looking at the spectrum of mental health tools that was available to us in the 90s, uh, which it's grown since then, of course. But, uh, but yeah, just looking at it then, I was like, this is the only therapy I see in front of me that is taking spiritual questions seriously. And that's, that alone has value. Is it a type of uh, therapy that you think like anyone and everyone could benefit from or should try at some point? Or is it more like, if you're trying some other sort of traditional approaches and you're still stuck with some things, give this a try. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm biased, of course. Yeah, so admitting all of my bias, yes. Um, you know, it's, it's an extremely creative intervention. It is an innovative and interesting intervention. And even in my dad's 
practice, you know, he would say constantly, and this is true for me too, it's after people have generally tried everything else, they'll go to a hypnotist. They'll go to a, they'll go to a regression therapist. They'll seek past life regression. Feel that way about acupuncture. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is. It's like it's like these mysterious tools that are misrepresented and yeah. misunderstood. Yeah. When you don't know what else you need, finally somebody comes to us. Mm-hmm. And, and are, what they need. <laughs> we're ready for that call. We're, we're uniquely equipped for it. Yeah. <laughs> Would, would either of y'all be open or willing to share anything about like what you've experienced in doing past life regression? Obviously you don't have to go into detail, but like if you've, I assume you've both kind of had some level of experience with it. Like, did, did you notice things? Were there things that arose that feel like it really seems like this came from my consciousness in another time? Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I've done I've done a number of past life regressions, both with obviously with Dan, more so in a group setting with him, because it is just such an intimate experience. Yeah, I've never know, been her not, therapist. Yeah, that yeah, would be I, a conflict of interest. Sure, exactly. exactly. Um, but with several of your colleagues, they definitely have. sure. And Sarah's come to a lot of group work yes, that I've done, which is how I did it with my dad, just kind of yes. hanging. Yeah, and I feel like, with my experience anyway, it's always been something that has kind of rung true eternal for me in this, like, these thematic things that, even though I may not be consciously aware of them, like, consistently come up in my life. And it's almost like, at least in my experience, there becomes kind of, like, this concrete experience to um, associate that with, if that makes sense. You know, it's like, how do we make sense of the world around it? We examine it, our world around us. Like, we take a look at our experiences. We take a look at, how, like, from afar, how to dissect that, how to, like, make sense of it. And there, there has definitely been, and I don't have, like, a specific example to go into because there's just been so many. Um, but I found that with, like, so many different things with that like past life regression and it's it's incredibly powerful and I also know that sometimes I will have a very visual experience and sometimes more of um what's the other term for it kinesthetic, kinesthetic or somatic yes there go. more of like a kinesthetic experience where like I can't be like oh yeah I'm watching a movie right now of my past life but you have these general sensations of place and time and the situation you're in so I've actually found those to be maybe even some of the more powerful experiences that I've had. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you think about losing your certain sensory perceptions in your current life. It's like that makes other things so much more valuable. Mm. Yeah. So this goes just a little down the rabbit hole with that. But <laughs> do, y- do y'all have um, philosophy or view or guess around, like, do you think that it is sort of like my little bubble of Valerie consciousness then stays its own little bubble and gets plopped into some other body? Or do you think it's more that like when I die, whatever, whatever that consciousness that is me gets sort of dissipated into the big pool of consciousness. And then some of that ends up in, you know, Megan and some of it ends up in Patrick or whatever. (laughs) No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think she just asked us what happens when we die. <laughs> I hope you know the answer because if not, we're done here. <laughs> I, I should know. I'm a specialist, right? 
I mean, I don't know how you would would, would describe it or what you're, you know, well, we've talked about it so many times, but, um, you know, in thinking about, like, my background with Chinese medicine and how, what the, the, the certain, like, um, like, kind of tenets of that that I really subscribe to is this idea of, like, energy transference. I can't tell you if it's a soul. I can't tell you if, like, Sarah's existed a thousand times. But, you know, we are all in this together as a collective, and we're all really feeling that right now, especially in this situation. So I definitely think there's a lot of energy transference and power in that. And I mean, I, <laughs> so yeah, again, not, not to go like too far into the rabbit hole, but I do think we're there. that, yeah, <laughs> we're there. <laughs> Say hello to the rabbit I'm hole. Like, oh, I'm explaining my thoughts now with this, but... I mean, in some sense, yes, I, I do believe that or have a feeling that we do transfer from body to body or existence to existence. Um, and, you know, you could go even further into this trench. I've got, I've got a 25-page yeah. PowerPoint on it. Yeah, if we want to go perfect. Well, yeah. just Send it over. <laughs> I've got a lot of stuff prepared on this subject. But I think that also what I wanted to say is like, I just think that in general with so many things in life, there's, it's a, it's not a bad thing to believe in the little magic in this world. Right. Mm -hmm. And that we don't have all the answers and we never will. And that's okay. Like there's so much power in both knowing and unknowing and, you know, in the knowing and unknowing. And it's like, I don't know, accepting that like, yeah, we're never going to know. <laughs> it's right. like just as powerful of an experience, but like, what can I do with my understanding right now? Yeah. Yeah, well said. Beautiful. The uh, the <clears throat> comfort with what we don't know, I think, is so important. You know, it might be a cornerstone of my own active philosophy around this subject. Is you know, foremost, let's you know be be comfortable and honest with the limitations of our knowing, uh, and then. In acknowledging those boundaries and limitations, there's a couple key thinkers for me that I always come back to. First of all, there's a book where he says that it's not strange that we would live more than once. Everything in nature is resurrection. What was the name of that I again? agree. Everything. It's not strange that we would live more than once. Mm -hmm. Everything in nature is resurrection. Mm -hmm. So, you know, agreeing with that in essence, that everything I see in nature around me is in some cycle of reincarnation and recreating itself and resurrection. And I have no reason to think that we're different than that. I don't know how we work, but we I do perceive us as a phenomenon within nature, not separate from it. Uh, and then outside of that, you know, Alan Watts and Buddhism have a lot of beautiful metaphors for the earth creates people the way the tree creates leaves and each one is different, but they are all also the same and so much alike and et cetera. And then yeah, a Jungian idea of the collective unconscious. And like we've said already that it's not Dan's past lifetimes. It's our shared story of humanity, right. you know? And I think, and that's really very compelling for me with past life regression too, just because that seems very clear in past life regression, the way we do experience different races, different ages, different genders, different times, different places. Uh, you know, this is another cool thing about past life regression that's completely under the radar. It's like this momentary touching, you know, the first, a brief story, the first past life regression I ever did, I was a 13 or 14 year old boy. 
And I went into an experience as a 20 or 21 year old woman who had recently been married to an awful man <laughs> and terrible marriage. And he left me high and dry or left this woman high and dry. Anyway, you know, it's just, it took me a long time to actually look back on that experience. Years of thinking about it already too, to be like, what made my 13 year old male consciousness go to a female body first, you know? So again, it's a small example, but just these opportunities to, for a moment, it's like a, a, an experience in virtual reality of something other than ourselves. Yeah. And I think that that term or that concept of energy transfer, it's like, mm -hmm. of course, that goes right in align, alignment with basic scientific principles yes. and, and also just kind of on a more sort of metaphorical or spiritual sense, the idea of each of us being a drop in the ocean. Mm -hmm. So, hmm. well, okay. And, and I think it's also one of those things that it's like, if I hear enough, um, not convincing, isn't necessarily the word credible, uh, opinions or, or ideas from people who I think are credible humans, it gets me excited because I'm like, ooh, so it's not weird if I want to explore this or if I believe in yeah. this kind of stuff. I, I, we have yet to see what credibility in past life regression completely looks like, but I'm looking out for it, yeah. trying to get as much of it as possible. Yeah. Uh, thank you, honey. Thank yes. you. I appreciate it. Well, and of course, it's funny because like you said, joking about like, well, how are we, any of us supposed to answer what happens when we die? None of us have been there. And yet past life regression would be like the area where we could say, well, but we have. But of course, none of us have the level of, you know, cognitive functioning in all of that transition to be able to report back with a clear linear narrative. <laughs> the words would fail the moment we yeah. made the sound. You know, what I mean, we couldn't mm -hmm. we couldn't possibly comprehend. I, you know, I, again, here's another rabbit hole. But, you know, I always think about this in terms of all the brain power we're not using. You know, and this idea that we were using 13% of our brain power, 14 or 8 or whatever it might be. But just, you know, how much untapped potential in the human there there is and it could be for actually comprehending more of this. But, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And just how both of you kind of, <clears throat> even though your work is similar but different, and one of the similarities is you're often the last ditch effort. <laughs> people who are struggling and they're like well guess I'll give this a try but you also know from your own lived experiences that your work works like it actually really helps people to heal and to their symptoms to improve and and all of that so it just must be so interesting um kind of living in this dual world where there's a lot of people who are like, yes, I am totally on board. The work you do is so valuable. It's so healing. It's so real. And then a whole other segment of the population who thinks it's just, you know, woo woo and pseudoscience and all of that. So I don't know if there's anything that either of you want to say about that sort of living in that dichotomy. Um Oh, um, I mean, I always say I love making a believer out of people. Like, I, <laughs> I mean, for, for me, personally, I'm sure most acupuncturists are practitioners of Chinese medicine and, and what Dan does and so many modalities is like, you're kind of towards the bottom of the roster, like you, like you just said, but, you know, um, there's a time and a place for everything. 
and you come to things when you're meant to. Like I truly believe that. And you know, if you want to look at that in an esoteric way, fine. If not, it's just like shit happens when it should happen. Um, but yeah, I would say it happens less and less in my experience that people are just completely closed off to it, but it does happen. Um, and I always just say, give it a shot, come in, you know, let's, let's do a treatment see what you think. Like it's not, it will not hurt you. Um, and I find that people are at least pretty open and receptive to that, even if they don't want to hear my woo woo. But I, I think that it's not woo woo because, you know, just like with what Dan does and what I do, there's thousands of years of empirical evidence behind all of these modalities. Yeah. And, um, you know, just because something, and while this is changing also, just because something hasn't been studied under a microscope yet, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And it doesn't mean there's not relevance to it. Um, I lost my train of thought, but I was going somewhere right, with that. May, may I interject? <laughs> yes, you may. Uh, It'll come to me. No, I mean, just well said. You know, first of all, of course you're correct. And I mean, we were even joking around a little bit before we started recording. You know, just hypnosis has so much bad PR, it's laughable. Yeah. And yet, there's decades of good science, fascinating science. You know, there's decades of incredible work. The history of hypnosis is threaded into the history of all mental health care. Freud himself was taught by the hypnotist Jean Charcot, and as far as I'm concerned, stripped Vict uh, Victorian hypnosis for parts and made analysis, uh, psychoanalysis, out of what was originally hypnosis. So, you know, the, there's so much interesting history and so much in the subject. I honestly could not be more proud to be, <laughs> to be you know, the, the owner of this weird career that I very much enjoy. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, a last final thought. And again, this is, comes back to my old man who I love so much. Um, but just he, you know, he so benevolently and kind of positively modeled this character who had the ability to provide these, again, just these strange and innovative and creative interventions for people to help bring them to relief. And there's, you know, the story of hypnosis is story after story of creative intervention. A very quick one, Milton Erickson, one of the titans of hypnotherapy in the 20th century, one of his patients couldn't afford his sessions. So he said, okay, fine, I'll see you at no charge, but in exchange for my time, you're gonna have to get better. What a great intervention. For 60 minutes of my time weekly, you're going to need to be healed from your depression. And you're going to need to do this yourself, you know, as, as part of it. And, you know, was able to kind of monetize this person's relief. This is just one small example, but it's these kinds of interventions, again, where we're not necessarily throwing out the rule book, but we are, you know, working with each other perhaps on a deeper level. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I love it. I know other people look at hypnosis weird, but I'm great. I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I honestly, whenever it arises, I, I see it more as a conversation than a challenge. Indeed. Sure. You yeah. know, yeah. I mean, I think genuinely people are mostly just curious mm -hmm. um, if they don't have any experience with it. And I think that, well, I mean, if I may say, like, I think Dan and I being in New York is like a good set and setting for people like us. Absolutely. Because I think we... I always like to say, and I've mentioned this mentioned uh, this to you before, but I feel like we're a combination of like alternative and pragmatic. Mm. You know, like I think half of half the people who don't know us who come to our office are like 
slightly surprised we're not head to toe in crystals and patchouli oil, you yeah. know, <laughs> like, and that's just not our style. And that might be what you're looking for. And that might be who you are and more power to you. We do have some crystals. We're not we totally. Do. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, so, you know. but I think just like the way we are naturally, yeah. both mm-hmm. Capricorn rising. Me too. <laughs> you are? Yeah. Oh, okay. We could feel it, Val. <laughs> we could... <laughs> no, but I mean, I think that we both just tend to, that's how we process the world around us. And that's how we convey the information that we have. Yeah. And I think in a place like New York or a lot of the Northeast, that's that speaks to people. It makes it approachable and digestible for them. It makes it a tool for their wheelhouse rather than an aspirational yeah. uh, wellness item. You know, <laughs> like it's yeah. yeah. At least I've seen that anyway. Agreed. Yeah. No, I was just going to add that I think New York really demands that groundedness, which I appreciate of the city. Frankly, you know, I mean, it's yeah. again, it's a really good challenge for past life regression to make itself as grounded and useful as it possibly can be. Yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, it's a, a testament to the city as well. Mm-hmm. And Dan, you mentioned a minute ago, just as far as like the, the bad PR of hypnosis and hypnotherapy. Um, I think we all know kind of the, the cliche of the stage hypnotist and, and all of that. And I think that a lot of people understand that hypnotherapy or, or clinical hypnosis is not that, and that there's things about that that are, um, embellished or, you know, kind of they're done for entertainment and it's a different thing but so so I don't know like I think a lot of people could kind of see that and be like yeah well like that's that's not a real criticism but I mentioned before we started recording get out and I'm just Mm -hmm. curious because I haven't really heard any any professional hypnotists talk about um like how because that was a pretty big film and a pretty great film in a lot of ways. Did Was there any kind of impact that you've seen from that? Or have you had clients approach you or, or people just be like, oh, my gosh, this was really scary. Is this what you do? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, nothing like that. You know, I mean, coming back to. I think I don't want to interject for a second, but if anything, I feel like I got the question like has Dan just had you under hypnosis for the past six years Uh, I'm really good Uh, nice work yeah thank you Uh, no you know the people that are really looking at hypnosis cross-eyed never even come into my office you know they don't cross my path Uh, and then it's you know, it's really important. There's actually two sides of the same coin here. One, there is no group more guilty of misrepresenting hypnosis than film and television. Hmm. And same, same coin, different side. It's not their responsibility to get it right. They're making drama. They're making television. They're doing what they're doing. So no big deal, you know. Uh, I love Get Out. Awesome movie. Jordan Peele's incredible. Yep. Um, it, it does something that most stories do. It takes a kernel of truth in the practice and then puts around it all kind of heightened dramatization and everything else, storytelling. But the kernel of truth, you know, to use Get Out as the example, the, the spoon against the teacup. We have in hypnosis things we call anchors where we will create, you know, uh, audio or visual or 
just sensory triggers for people that will signal certain things and take on certain associations consciously or unconsciously the way she uses the teacup and the spoon to kind of signal that he's going into what I think was called the sunken place, you know, in, in a, <laughs> a well-aligned, healthy and positive session of hypnosis, this might be associated with relaxation. You know, this might be associated with, you're going to feel calm when you feel the spoon against the teacup or something like this. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah, the there's a lot to say, of course, about these representations of hypnosis. Um, but uh, but yeah, there's usually a kernel of truth and a lot of drama and not so truthful stuff around it. That yeah, that makes so much sense how you describe that. And and I think in truth, that's probably true of any profession. You see mm. your profession on television, you're like, oh my god, they're getting it. That is not what it's like to be a pilot. It's just what <laughs> makes something like hypnosis a little different. Is it's it already has sort of a little more mystery and a little more um, myths and misunderstandings about it. So it's just that potential for for all of that to get even further amplified. But you're right. I mean, it's they might have. Uh, if they're making a movie about a pilot, they're going to have consultants, but they're going to screw some things up because it's dramatized and it's, that's not their job is to be an expert in that. So, yeah. So Sarah, um, as somebody who is, well, I was going to say so afraid of needles and yet you can see this hole in my face and I've got a few (laughs) tattoos, uh, but afraid enough of needles that I've just never felt the need to pursue (laughs) acupuncture um and yet is it i mean is it true that it doesn't hurt or do you not bleed like total newbie 101 acupuncture question (laughs) funny you say that because i always kind of half joke that the people who come in who are like absolutely petrified at first are the people who are like sleeve tattoos (laughs) piercings and i'm like this is nothing like that And I mean, I think, you know, a good way that I kind of describe it is that, yes, A, the needles are like hair, hair thin. They're super tiny. Most of them you don't feel. Um, I think it's something like 22 acupuncture needles can fit into the head of one hypodermic needle to give you a sense of how tiny they are. And really, like, there's nothing magic about these acupuncture needles, What's the the magic, so to speak, or like the actual function of what's the purpose of this medicine is happening in your own body anyway. So this is just kind of more of like a conduit to stimulate certain points in the body that work together to form a homeostasis and get your body back into balance. Or if you want to look at it from a more physical level, we might be releasing certain musculature, something like that. It's so different for everybody. And like everyone who walks through my door needs a different treatment. But, um, and why I mentioned earlier, I love making a believer out of people. I love bringing people from that state of fear because it is something that's scary. And I was scared the first time I went to acupuncture. I absolutely despise getting my blood taken or getting shots, like hate it, but this is what I do for a living. So it's like recognizing the value and the treatment was just so immediate for me. And, and also the immediate understanding that, no, this is not a hypodermic needle. Like, oh, oh, it's so tiny. I didn't feel anything except the energy moving through my body or like certain muscles being manipulated. And so that was a huge eye opener for me personally, obviously. 
Um, and I love making that an eye opener for other people too. Mm. So it's really, like I say, that, you know, the needles themselves are like, they're stainless steel, disposable, pretty run of the mill, like regular material, like, but what they do and the effect that they have on us as metabolic and electronic beings, so to speak, is just so profound, you know, and they're, is a lot of science to it. There's a lot of mystery to it too. And this is something that has been developed for at least the last 3000 years. And I always feel bad for the first person who had to undergo this. (laughs) (laughs) They probably didn't have needles that were as nice. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But it's like, um, I think that the effectiveness of the medicine is what tends to get people over that initial fear. Yeah. I love that. And it's also really reassuring to hear that you also have uh, an aversion to shots and things like that. Because I always just, yeah. First thing I tell people, I can't look at my blood being taken. Yeah, no. It's just different. And you wouldn't know unless you had acupuncture before, you know. The hypnotist in me wants to rebrand the acupuncture needle. We should, we, should, we should call it the hugger or something. Yeah, yeah. yes. We should, take the word, we should take the word needle out of it. Needle it's is a scary word. Needle. It's so scary. It's like, oh, I don't want a needle. I, know. I don't want that. I know. Yeah, yeah I, absolutely. If I may jump in, just I'm a complete convert with acupuncture too. You know, I'm in the same boat that we're describing as being uncomfortable with the subject, but... Uh, yeah, just having had treatments from friends and treatments from Sarah as well. And of course, again, I have a biased opinion here, but uh, but I've experienced it. And it's this little mental hurdle. No, it doesn't hurt. The tiny, I mean, you know, again, I, I don't like even using the word needle. It's, it's a tool. It's an instrument that's working with, you know, that I've felt, you know, working and shifting. Literally, I don't know a better word for it other than energy in my body, you know, feeling it travel from place to place and be replenished and, and, you know, equalize. I mean, there's such a beautiful philosophy to traditional or Chinese medicine, as I understand it, uh, five elements and things like this that I won't necessarily speak to. I'm not an expert on it, but but a kindergartner could understand it. You know, it's a lot of it is so fundamental and, again, aligned with natural systems that occur. occur, in our natural environment and in us. So. Yeah, and those natural systems occur in our whole environment, um, whether it's very obvious, you know, in a huge scale kind of spectrum, um, like a volcano erupting and creating earth, and then that earth like develops metals inside of it, etc. you know. And that boils down to even the systems of our body. So that's kind of like what um, five element theory that he mentioned is kind of based on. Um, and how, and it's a, it's a metaphoric system of explaining Eastern traditional medicine, um, almost in like a layman's terms. It's like how you can describe the different systems of your body and their synergistic responses together. It's like endlessly fascinating. It's something we, you know, talk about for three hours. (laughs) Um, Whereas Western medicine is like, sinner, what? I know. (laughs) Who is that? (laughs) And I mean. Right. And I well, just also the idea it's preventative medicine, which yes, is yeah. which is a completely different mindset. Yes. You know, I mean, exactly. that fundamental shift in the mindset is so important, too, you know? Yeah, in the sense of treating something before it's broken. Lifestyle so is medicine. It's not broken. 
Um, you know, and I think we all, and maybe you can agree with this, Valerie, but, you know, um, seeing generations that came before us not take a, a holistic kind of preventative approach to their medical care, um, and that's not to blanket statement speak for absolutely everybody in previous generations, but it, the importance of it wasn't expounded upon, you know, like it wasn't recognized as being important. It was just kind of like, oh, well, you, you get old and you get sick and that's it, you know, and like... It doesn't always have to be that way. Yeah. Um, and when you just to touch on real quick, when you were talking about that sense of energy and like not being able to really describe it as anything else, I think that, and in, you know, in Chinese medicine, we would call that qi. And in many ways there's crossover of like the same, like different words for the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like what I would describe chi as is like your body's metabolic functions, your body's circulatory systems, your body's lymphatic systems. Like it is that underlying current of creating things, creating movement in your body to keep it going. And so I think that's a kind of like more so pragmatic way mm -hmm. of describing the effect that this type of manipulation with these needles the, what it creates in your body, mm -hmm. um, you know, so hopefully that like helps lift the veil of mystique a little bit because, you know, it is just, it's like our body has that natural response to this intervention. Yeah. And like you were saying earlier, you said that there's nothing magic about the needles. It's like the, what happens when the, the tool of the needles are used with the body in a certain way, with a certain intelligence, um, an intention, then things happen, things shift. And, and I think similarly about tarot, which, um, I know you both are really into, and I want to know which decks are your favorites. Um, but you know, that the cards are not magic, they're wax and paper, but what is it about what emerges in you when you see this card on this day? Right. Exactly. No. Yeah. I, yeah. And the cards never lie, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I Dan don't know if we can trust Dan, I have to say, is a very gifted tarot reader. I love the tarot. Yeah. I, I'm good friends with the tarot. He really is. I, we are both big fans of Yodorowsky's work yes. on the tarot. Yes. He is my shaman when it yes. comes to the tarot. Uh, yeah, I mean, coming back to past life regression as a reference, I just absolutely love it as a study of archetypal psychology. Yeah. <clears throat> the tarot itself, the Rider Waite deck, uh, Rider Waite Smith deck, that was uh, done by Pamela Coleman Smith, actually, a woman who lived in Brooklyn who did those illustrations. It was a fascinating yeah. life story. Uh, it, the, the cards are such a beautiful story themselves. The major arcana in each suit. And, you know, the way that it, it traces our story, really, I mean, part of the idea of the deck is that there's a card for every single moment of our life, including this one right now, you know? I'm not sure which card it would be. Probably a different one for each of us, maybe. But, yeah. um, but again, you know, just that there's such a kind of rich story and narrative and tapestry in the tarot, uh, yeah, I think I just got taken in by it at the right time when I was particularly interested in archetypal psychology, Joseph Campbell mythology, all these other subjects that were right there on that level. So I was like, oh, man, this is fantastic. Let's go. And then 
yeah, really also began to enjoy and love reading other people's cards. So, so now I do it for fun. I I will not do it for money. I will never do tarot in exchange for money. And that sounds like a strong philosophy. So I just have to ask why. Because, because, yeah, thank you for asking. I never actually asked myself that at this point. I don't know. It's because I don't, it's, I guess, to answer your question, Val, I'm already very clear about what my career is in terms of these, you know, if we call them esoteric sciences for a moment. Uh, and you know, I don't need to take on more. <laughs> <laughs> if you start charging for it, then it becomes a service that you're supposed to offer. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And frankly, frankly, my interaction with it is purely joyful and fun, and I love it as a source of study and a complement to other things that I do. So that's enough. Very cool. Yeah, I, I feel like it's one of those things. I so I've only been really uh, playing with it for the past few years, and I sort of. I'll go through phases where I'm playing with it a little bit every day and then sort of let it collect dust for a little while and then come back and do the same and do some more study. And, and, uh, we had one of our, our, um, our local group of psychotherapists here in Nashville has an, uh, well now it's going to be every other year, but a a retreat where we kind of go away and we spend a night somewhere, we do some workshops and then we have a little, um, what's the word when it's like a private little bar that a speakeasy, um, we have a little speakeasy and it just so happened that this time it was just a couple months ago. I ended up just doing these chakra readings all all night for like four hours straight. I was just there doing, and it was so much fun and I haven't read for anybody else since really. And you know, to, I like what you said. And I think it's something where it's like, I don't need to try to do that professionally um, to add that on, but it's it's really fun. And sometimes I do integrate it in with my client work when it makes sense. Sure. But um, yeah, it is it is really fun. And, and I think one thing that I get kind of stuck on, and I'm curious what y'all think about, is so it's like there are... I feel like people or teachers of, of the tarot who are, and I'm not actually not familiar with um, Jodor, I'm going to say it wrong, Jodorowsky. Jodorowsky, yeah. I'll have, to, I'll have to look that up. Yeah. Um, but some other teachers, it's like they, some of them have the approach of like, okay, well, here's what the archetypes are. This is what the three of cups means. Um, and then others are like to hell with the archetypes. Like it's, it's all about what emerges for you. And, and to think that there's a right answer is patriarchal, hierarchical, whatever. And I think I probably fall somewhere in between. Um, but I'm curious about what y'all think about that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really good question. I think that, um, as with so many things, like the study of tarot, like you were kind of already describing, needs to be this more of an organic process. It's really not supposed to be this textbook learning. I think you learn it like through the life, your lifetime of receiving and giving these experiences for people. And I mean like the experiences that are represented in the deck and whatever, like whatever your interpretation of that is, you know, and I feel similarly about astrology too in that way. And, and also the two marry together a lot. I feel like, you know, you can pull the same three cards as someone else, but it's going to mean something different to you. So I, I mean, I, I don't necessarily toss aside like the hierarchical concepts of, um, like different thematic psychologies in them and like how they might speak to us. 
But at the same time, I think it does need to be a little more fluid than like very rigid, like this means this, A equals B, you know, like I think, I don't think it's in my opinion, not meant to be read in that way. It's supposed to be a more like fluid conversation, so to speak, between the cards and yourself. And um, also I think, and just to like touch on like the fear associated with tarot. Superstition. Is, yeah. yeah, I mean, it absolutely is rooted in superstition. Um, and we have a couple of like, traditional decks from like the medieval period. Um, cool. And not even that we're meant, you know, meant to represent that at the time, but like, there is kind of like that that concept that's being slept off about tarot that it's like oh my god reversed is bad <laughs> swords are terrible the three of them, someone's gonna stab you in that you know it's like it's it's so much more um, enigmatic than that I think mm-hmm. um, so hopefully that answers your question yeah. as far as how I feel about it I'm with you guys it's a balance yeah. of all these things yeah, right exactly. you know uh, I I believe in the value of the uh, classic archetypal readings, but I don't believe in being tied to them, you know, or bound to them in any way. Mm-hmm. It's an interpretive art. It is fluid. It's, uh, yeah, and it is very much dependent on the person in front of it as well. You know, another way we describe the cards, it's a mirror, right? It's reflecting person in front right. of you there. So it's, it's both people. It's a dialogue. Also, too, it's fluid. It's happening, not fixed. So remembering each card is a scene in motion, not not the the static two-dimensional image stuck in time there, but something that's leading to something else. And actually on that note, I'll have to look up what deck this is, but there is one that is a really beautifully well-done deck, and the front image of the card is whatever our traditional image of, I think it's based on the Rider-Waite-Smith deck, but the reverse side of the card is that scene from reverse. So it gives you a different perspective of the mm-hmm. same and encourages you to have a different perspective of like how you came to this situation, how you get out of it if you want to. And if that's how it speaks to you, but like there are two sides to every coin, there's two sides to every tarot deck. And it does, it's not a 2d image. Really? Right. Our lives aren't that, uh, that flat, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> Uh, so I th- anyway, I thought that was a really interesting concept, and I think that for some people that might be a really therapeutic approach for them, and a way to dispel that fear that's surrounding. Like it's, I mean, it's a lovely practice. I love. The oh, it's super fun. Yeah, we yeah. I mean, we're, we're just talking about fun here, aren't yeah. we? Like this yeah. is a deck of cards. Going back to what you were saying before, and I had an experience just like you, Val. Where I had a party. Well, I was at a friend's party months ago, and I read tarot for hours. <laughs> And had a blast, had a total blast, had such fun. Uh, so anyway, yeah, and I, I do kind of enjoy watching people's superstitious responses. You know, somebody sat down to have a reading at this party and said, don't tell me anything bad. I don't want to hear anything bad. <laughs> and see, you know, like I, I could have told them something that would have ruined their entire night, you know? Aww. Of course I didn't. But, but you know, it's like, like oh God, no, what, what? what power I had in that moment. Right. And, you know, it's like, don't, don't worry about it. It's not, that's not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. And like you said, the, the, it's enigmatic and the future is dynamic so that I couldn't possibly yeah. predict it. Yes. It's, exactly. It is sad though. Like thinking of, and, and I, I'd like to really 
be believe the best about people, generally speaking. So I don't necessarily think that people are like out there trying to con people and saying like, ooh, like I'm going to, you know, do predictive readings so that people come to me when they're in distress and like needing to know what's going to happen or what they should do. I don't, I like to believe that that's usually not a malicious kind of thing. And that's just really what that practitioner believes. But it is like, Ooh, I can't help but feel like that's just, that is really a, a, an abuse of power. Mm-hmm. Agree. Yeah. I, I, I have very strong feelings about this as a hypnotist. I'm, I'm very keyed into people's states of suggestibility yeah. and, and watching people's nonverbals for those states as they come on. And I myself have sat before many astrologers, mystics, psychics, fill in the blank as a young man in highly suggestible states, having had all kinds of stuff put in my head. And I unfortunately too, as a practitioner, have heard stories of a couple truly bad actors, you know, in in what we're describing. So unfortunately, there are some, you know, some things to watch out for, for sure. It's, nobody's telling a tarot reader to take the Hippocratic Oath, but first do no harm. (laughs) If we, if we can just do that, if we can just do that, which sometimes that's that alone is a really challenging thing, but first do no harm. That's that I I mean this. I don't mean to. It's not a pat on the back or anything for myself. But this was in my head as I was reading tarot that night. You know, I didn't want to ruin anybody's night. It was a party for God's sake. <laughs> first of all, but again, it's just like, first do no harm. Don't don't put poison in people's systems or in their minds. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And um, gosh, there was another question that came into my mind and now it's leapt out. But other than Smith Rider Waite and that deck that's got the um, the reverse kind of image or the back of the image, any any favorite decks that I need to check out? Um, well, I really love the Wild Unknown, her work. Yeah, the decks uh, are great. Kim Kranz yeah. beautiful, beautiful artwork. Um, I've had her tarot deck for many, many years. Um, and I also love her animal spirit guide deck, which is beautiful and so inspiring. Um, I actually pull an animal card almost every day. Um, I'm very fond of that one yeah. too. I, I, I think uh, she did a beautiful, beautiful job. With yeah. That particular. Yeah. The writing around it is gorgeous too. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the descriptions of the cards that she does are fantastic. Yeah. I have the main the main wild unknown tarot deck, but now I'm just gonna have to get the animal deck too. Oh, Thanks okay. a lot. This is Sorry. your call from the <laughs> You won't regret it. Um, and then we have but the Marseille deck, which is like the more medieval traditional deck. Cool. Um, the Toth deck that Alistair Crowley. Yeah. So much controversial. Yes, yes. Oh, and actually, another wild one. I will give her a shout out for her archetypes deck, mm. um, which is a really beautiful depiction of, and it's much more fluid than like a traditional tarot or like oracle deck. But it's all about like the examination of different archetypes in different places you may be mm-hmm. in your life. Um, and she gives um, advice even on like movies or songs to listen to that can kind of help you to dive into this. So I thought she did a really beautiful job, obviously, on that deck, too. Cool. Um, that's quite inspiring. And then those are our main ones. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's growing. It's ever growing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's there there are more that we could mention, but yeah. <laughs> 
And it's one of those things like in general, I strive toward um, mindful consumption and minimalism kind of as an aesthetic. But there are certain things that I don't mind collecting like books and tarot decks and tarot decks are art that you get to play with. What's what could you want? There's like this beautiful like tactile relationship that you have with them. Yeah. It's pretty rare and, and other things. And same, I feel the same way about books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I thought of the question that jumped out of my head a minute ago. And Dan, when you were mentioning heightened state of suggestibility, and obviously like that's really at the core of kind of what makes change possible in hypnosis um, for folks who maybe aren't feeling ready or like they need to go and see a professional hypnotist or hypnotherapist. um, Do you have any suggestions around, I'm thinking about like the kinds of things that people are wanting to work on, like their self-worth and their self-love and they're doing affirmations, but they're doing them fully from cognitive conscious mind. Is there anything that you would advise people to try out, whether it's guided tracks or anything um, that you think would that they could intentionally put themselves in a more suggestible state when they're trying to kind of install some of these more helpful um, cognitions or states. Yeah. So there's a central principle of hypnosis that we may have heard before that all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. So what this principle is speaking for is simply the idea that Hypnosis really begins with one's own self-talk, one's own biases and filters and early life experiences and the things that I'm telling myself I'm good at or not good at or I like or I don't like or I'm interested or I'm not interested in. So in this way, our pre-existing filters and mindset and and self-talk all kind of decide what states and, and what we're open to and what we're not. So from that position affirmations and stuff like that, which I honestly, I generally don't like. I don't mean to (laughs) anything and anything that works for anybody, please continue doing it. But to your point, Val, it's about trusting ourselves and believing the message as it's coming in. So it's, it's all about depth, you know, at the the end of the day with the messaging, you must believe it. So do not lie to yourself. Uh, It has to be a kind of thing that speaks to you on a sensory nonverbal level, you know, Um, and it needs to be contextualized correctly. It needs to align with your pre-existing psychology as well as the psychology that you want to build for the future. You know, so it's, it actually, I don't want to make it sound complicated because it's, it's not that nuanced. (laughs) It is though, you know, so we really do need to have these things dialed in, uh, as, as, acutely as possible. And a lot of that is where the art is in offering hypnosis, I believe. But, uh, so yeah, I appreciate your question. There's a lot more that could be said generally about it, but you know, ultimately it must work within your filters and beliefs. Please do not lie to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's probably really refreshing for people who've tried doing, I mean, I, historically I've kind of rolled my eyes at affirmations and, and now I'm kind of like, well, there's, there's room for them, but again, within a context and, and maybe if you're doing them kind of as, as, you know, mainstream, maybe suggests, maybe you're going to have a 5% impact. You're going to shift your perspective 5%, but if you could shift it 50% or whatever, if you could shift it a lot more with 
the support of someone who's skilled in doing that, skilled in getting you to that state of consciousness where you're not lying to yourself and helping you to figure out like, well, what is the way of kind of phrasing that that feels authentic? And like you said, of working toward the psychology that you want to have. I think that's awesome and a very compelling reason to to try working with someone. Yeah, right on. It's it's a wonderful thing when you have a really solid and trustworthy relationship with your hypnotist. You uh, you know this, Val, but you can just like go right in the room, fall in the chair, and go unconscious. You know, it's like it really is a wonderful thing because the first of all, the trust. You know, that having that foundation, it's actually a pretty intimate experience. You know, guiding somebody through hypnosis and being guided through hypnosis. So, you know, having a, a deep, trusting relationship with somebody like that, you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing that you can really benefit from. Yeah. So as we start to wrap up, and I'm realizing that on the calendar thing I sent you guys, I, I think it just said an hour. So we're already over that time. So are cool. you good for a few yeah. minutes or do I need to like rush in? Okay, cool. Um, so I think I kind of covered, I mean, I could talk to you guys for hours, but I think, I think we got a lot of good stuff here. So how about we circle to the question, the question of the hour, what is the fucking point? Oh, <laughs> oh God, wouldn't we all like to know? <laughs> may, I, may I ask a question before we answer the question? Yeah. Is this is this a staple of your podcast? Is this like the last question that you ask all your guests? Just so I know that's it. Yeah, I mean it's and it's the name of the podcast and uh, yeah, I just I decided to to ask it always. Awesome, yeah. awesome. Thank you, Val. Yeah, just wanted to make sure. Yeah, yeah. Please. Well, I mean, I think that you know, in our conversations as far as lifetime and what's going on with like the collective consciousness and unconsciousness right now, it's kind of like. You might live once, you might live a thousand times, but like just make the most of what you have right now. You can choose to be happy, you can choose to be joyful. And it, that doesn't mean being perfectly happy and joyful all the time. It means choosing that path. Um, because I think at some point you do have that uh, willfulness to do so. Mm. Um, I mean, I for me, that is a big what the fucking point is to keep on keeping on. Mm. Um, yeah. How about you? I agree with Sarah's answer. Good. <laughs> Good. That's a key to a long-term relationship right there. No, I be on time. Treat people well. Don't be a jerk. Yeah. You know, yeah. Keep your hands to yourself. Be as as good as your word as possible. That's right. No, I, 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 I love your question. I love the question. And, you know, I, I, like it, I, I like it even more as a rhetorical question, as a kind of answer to itself. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. But, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a live and let live kind of guy at the end of the day and I do agree with everything Sarah said. You know, believe in service. Believe in being service mm. to each other. You know, community being good to one another. You know, yeah. treat yourselves well and your families well. Yeah. 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 David White, uh, the poet, calls them beautiful questions. That it's it's more of a question to live into than to answer. I mean, I always like to see what emerges for people. Um, but it really, yeah, you're exactly right. That it's we're all we're all living that question, um, 
and and frankly, like even spiritual paths that seem to attempt to answer it, like I just kept throwing the Bhagavad Gita down, like stop it, stop trying to tell me that this it all makes sense. <laughs> um, but anyway, and I did want to ask you guys because I had this circled and I um, forgot to tie it in earlier. What is wellness real realness? Ah. <laughs> wellness realness. Yeah. Um, I think it is the realness of actually, like the real talk, hashtag wellness realness of like being in the wellness community and being in the wellness community and like peeking behind the veil to see, and this is not for everybody, but like just seeing that the industry that has grown up around this concept of wellness and the scene, yeah, the trends. We've all seen it. We, We all do work in the sphere. So it's like. I, every wellness practitioner with integrity has these same gripes, I feel like, or yeah. similar situations. So can we're see like, wouldn't it be, it. yeah, can see through it. And, um, it. and we were like, wouldn't it be nice to have a forum for people to be able to like unload about their wellness realness? <laughs> you know, so we, it's kind of something we talk about doing a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's both a joke and a very serious thing yes. between Sarah and I, <laughs> you know, exactly. in that, it's also in coming back to my own story early in life, growing up around my dad as a sarcastic teenager in the 1990s, you know, looking at what was around me then. And again, there's so much comedy on the surface. There's so much silliness. And I say that, you know, speaking about myself foremost, really acknowledging you know, there's a lot of, uh, well, yeah, just that from an outside perspective, things can look silly. Uh, so acknowledging that, you know, acknowledging the comedy so that we can tell the difference between what's really important, what's really serious in terms of our mental and, and biological health, yeah. and what might just be a trend or an article or something that's worth checking out or reading. And again, no disparagement here. You know, all of these things are very important as they're entryways for people, and we're all coming from different places. So uh, uh I don't want to sound like I'm speaking badly about anything, but just, you know, wellness, realness is the willingness to say like, you know, this stuff gets messy too. It's not, yeah. it's not pretty. It's not always fun. And you know, there's practice, there's work involved. Yeah. It's like recognizing the very human side to this type of practice that is supposed to be so inherently esoteric. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it is, a, it is human nature to capitalize on things. It's human nature to want to influence things. Um, and while that, you know, it might be a situation where the road to hell is paved in good intentions, and oftentimes I think it is, because um, I agree with you, like you said earlier, I think that people are inherently good and have good intentions, whether they are entering this field or with subject matters that they are interested in but I think in an effort to kind of um, display a perfection they can kind of go overboard and go past their scope of practice and um, you probably see that all the time as well when it's like like we all kind of need to take a step back and realize like what what works for you what doesn't you know, there is no one size fits all strategy to wellness, to any of these modalities. And I think just like recognizing that there's a lot of power in it. Um, and also like thinking of it in a more like, um, irreverent way, you know, cause it's like people take it so seriously. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, 
And I think that that's really therapeutic for myself as a wellness practitioner is to take a more like irreverent human approach to the way that I communicate with people, whether it's like via social media or the rapport that I build with patients, um, because that's what actually makes it a human level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think another part of wellness realness for me, and I'm not going to climb on the soapbox. We don't have time for that, but I'm going to just put my one big toe on top of it. <laughs> it's like, is, you know, all the, the giant conversation around privilege and, and the, the reality like is like, well, and part of this is privilege of also not having children that I'm having to spend all my money on, but I spend a lot of money on my wellness. And I'm glad that I also have the uh, discernment of I'm not going to work with practitioners who make me feel like I have to, because uh, that's, I think, where it gets unethical, um, Mm -hmm. that we can recognize that a lot of this, yeah, like some of it is you're experiencing real pain. And if acupuncture is what makes that better for you and going to the doctor hasn't, awesome. I really hope you have the resources to do that. And I hope that there are practitioners and programs and scholarships and sliding scales and things that make those services accessible. And I know that there are, um, but also just all of us knowing, yeah, like let's not take this so seriously where we all think we need to be working with 12 practitioners at any given time. Like some of it is necessary. Some of it is for fun and for biohacking or whatever spiritual <laughs> life hacking that we want to play around with. Um, so yeah. Yeah, no, thank you for bringing that up too. Yeah, agreed. We don't need to go all the way. We don't have enough time, but, uh, <laughs> but just know you're so right. I mean, it, it really becomes a very kind of, I don't know if it needs to be serious, but it becomes a real socioeconomic conversation at a point, right? This is yeah. our real medicine. Yes, and here's our guru. Yes. <laughs> Jane and our this is uh, who? You're Levi. seeing uh, our dog, Levi. <laughs> Levi. Poodle, half Bichon. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> on top of everything else you've heard today we're also crazy dog parents yeah i love it well, I'm, a, I'm a crazy cat lady so i totally um, get it yeah. <laughs> so where can people find you obviously i'll have everything linked up in the show notes but tell the people where they can find you online and on social media yeah um my website is pretty simple it's just www.sarabithin.com and i also have an Instagram presence at dr.sarabithin. So that's kind of my two main approaches. Um, you know, right now I'm unable to see patients in face-to-face, unfortunately, and for good reason. Um, but I've been doing quite a few, I've been able to connect with people in a, quite a powerful way virtually, which that's been a really unexpected but really lovely experience as a practitioner to kind of like be like, okay, yes, there is so many ways that you can connect with people and so many ways you can share your medicine and your technique with them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's me. And I'm at Daniel Ryan, CRT.com is my website and all my contact information is there. And on Instagram, I'm at Daniel Ryan, CRT. Cool. And, and Dan, I was just, I had not caught this when I looked at y'all's questionnaire the first time, but as I was prepping for this, I was clicking on the links and I was like, oh my God, he has a new podcast. So I was like, oh, I should have listened. And then I was like, no, it's probably good that I didn't. I'll listen to it after. That way I don't get confused about what you said there and what I've asked you. But I'm excited to listen to it. Tell us what that's called and and where we can find it. 
Thank you very much. Yeah, the podcast is called Mind Space Minimal. It's on Spotify, Apple, Apple Music, and everywhere else you find podcasts. You can go to mindspaceminimal.com and find us there and subscribe. It's hosted by myself and my friend and colleague, Jessica Yatrovsky, who's a, a fine artist and an author. And it's, it's kind of a lifestyle and wellness podcast where we talk about the intersections of creativity, culture, wellness, and, and again, you know, really go deep on lifestyle as medicine. Uh, she's coming from a minimalist background and you know, a big part of what I, I like to describe hypnosis as doing is essentially subtraction. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, so we, we spend a long time taking apart those subjects and many others. Cool. I can't wait to listen. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for being here. This has been amazing. Oh, I was just, if I was just going to mention, um, I'm only mentioning it cause I think it's kind of relevant to the yeah. topic that we're talking about right now, but, um, I'm going to be launching um, a virtual workshop with a colleague of mine called Go the Fuck to Sleep. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so I was like, oh, it's perfect for this podcast. Absolutely. Very on brand. Um, it'll be a workshop series, although it's like, you know, come and go whenever. But this speaking in this collective way of like all of the insane insomnia and collective like dreamscape that we've been going through. Quarantine um, sleep. Yeah, quarantine sleep. Um, a colleague of mine um, who is this wonderful restorative yoga practitioner and breath worker, um, we've kind of joined forces in ways that we can create a space to literally just wind down at night for people, just an hour long. It's going to be weekly starting next Thursday. And if we, we do kind of want to take a more irreverent approach to it and make it accessible to people in the sense that it's like they leave feeling good they don't ha they don't feel like this quote wellness is like forced on them or like they're not doing enough it's during not hard work it's not hard work and it's not it's not hard work for us to convey this and because it is you know i just think it it, it it's big part of our nature at this point um but i think that we just want to make it as accessible and as like calming in that way for people so hopefully it will help, but we're excited to um, launch that next week. So I figured I would mention it. Thank you. And I will be looking that up because I've always been a very easy sleeper. And uh, this quarantine, man, I'm like, is this what people deal with? Waking up at 3 a.m. and not being able to get back to sleep? This is horrible. It's pretty strange. Yeah, yeah it's pretty strange. Oh, my yeah. gosh. So that sounds amazing. So we can find that at your website and your Instagram. Yeah, okay. exactly. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. This Thank has been you. a pleasure. It's been wonderful. Yeah. Thanks for, for doing this. And it's been great to connect with you. OMG, friend, you made it all the way to the end of the episode. It is truly an honor that you've chosen to spend this time with me. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can find show notes for this and other episodes at ValerieKMartin.com slash podcast. And that's just the letter K. And just to make it a little confusing, you can find me on Instagram at ValKMartin, V-A-L-K-A-Y Martin spelled out. I love getting DMs from you guys about what you're enjoying in the podcast, questions, ideas for topics or interviews. And if you want to bring a huge smile to my face, leave a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps so much. Just go to bit.ly slash WTFP review, all lowercase, and it'll take you less than a minute. 
I'll see you next time. And until then, keep asking the big questions.